you know, and we're not going to, we're not going to touch genitals or make out or grope each other. Or we're just, I'm just going to tie you up <laughs> and dangle you from the ceiling. I don't know. But the slide in that pussy is a homicide. Welcome to Hookup Horror Stories, the podcast where we spill the tea on sex and dating. I'm Demi Wild, your resident sexual deviant, and today my extra special guest deviant is certified sex therapist, Heather Shannon. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Demi. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here as well. Oh my god, you're the first actual like uh, professional that I've had on this, like sex professional that I've had on this show. Well, I'm excited that I qualify as a deviant still. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You're the ultimate deviant at that point. There we go. Well, before we get into anything, just be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us out in the long run. And you can also check out the video for this on my Patreon page. Um, so Heather, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of people don't know what a sex therapist does either. So I should probably cover that. Um I have been in private practice as a therapist since 2011. I got certified as a sex therapist. I'm trying to remember now if it was 2021. I think it was 2021. Oh, <laughs> recent. Time. Yeah, time. I, well, I started the journey before that. So I, I did, uh, I think I applied. That's why I had to think about it. I applied to what I call sex school um, in 2019, which was University of Michigan's uh, sexual health certificate program. So I did mm. the, the sex educator and the sex therapist track for that. And then you go through a whole certification process where you have to get supervised forever and put together an application that's like over a hundred pages and a real pain in the butt. So (laughs) then eventually you get certified. Um, but you know, I've been working with people on relationships and sexuality the whole time I've been in private practice. It's just like a little bit more official now. Um, so, and now that's kind of all I do before it was a portion of what I did now. It's pretty much all I do. So I help people with anything from, you know, not having much sex in their relationship. Uh, a lot of couples who have been together a long time and they just kind of lose the spark and trying to get it back. Um, I help people with, you know, lack of orgasm, erectile dysfunction, exploring kink and BDSM, opening their marriage and really anything else that people can throw at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to There's it. A lot there. Yeah. When I first was like, I don't know if I want to specialize and then I won't be doing some of the other holistic things that I enjoy. And then when I'm realizing, you know, there's so much within sex therapy, um, you know, I certainly don't get bored. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I want to like, I normally have like a bunch of like questions that I normally ask people, but I'm going to kind of like switch things around on you since you are a little bit different, a little bit special, I think. Okay. Um, what got you started in this, in this particular branch of therapy and psychoanalysis and yeah. Uh, I think it's because, you know, when I was in a general private practice and actually I will say I, my undergrads in finance, <laughs> so okay, 
feel like a 180. Um, so that's interesting. But so I guess it started in a broader sense with just wanting to feel like, hey, like if I'm working really hard, I want to care about what I'm doing. I want to care about, you know, like, hey, I'm making an impact. I'm helping somebody like leaving the world a little bit of a better place. My first job after college was in market research and it, it was a lot of work and it would be like, you know, and nothing against these brands, but it would be like, is, is Dove going to launch a new shampoo? Is Unilever going to launch this new body wash with this new fragrance? And I was like, I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> just don't care. So I knew I wanted to do something with psychology, started researching that, was a high school counselor for a while, loved working with teenagers, hated mm-hmm. the bureaucracy of the education system, and then started the private practice. And it was when I started the practice um, that I started really kind of having some clients that I would just say were were brave, um, which is part of what I love about my job, that people are signing up to be vulnerable and get out of their comfort zones. Um, So it makes me like automatically like my clients basically. (laughs) Um, So I had some people that explored, you know, sexual orientation or gender identity or kinks, uh, sexual trauma. And it was super rewarding to just be with them on that journey. And it also made me realize that there's just not a lot of safe spaces for this, you know, to talk to someone who kind of knows what they're talking about or is somewhat educated and will keep it confidential and isn't necessarily part of your daily life and going to be, you know, opinionated or judgy or whatever. So it just made me realize like there's, there's like a real need for this. Um, So it took, it actually took me a few years probably after realizing that because I was afraid a little bit of specializing too much. And it was a big commitment to go through all the education and, you know, travel up to Michigan and, you know, pay all the tuition and everything, but I'm glad I did it. And I think realizing that the demand was out there and people were actually ready for this uh, is what kind of helped push me over the edge to actually go forward with that. Yeah, there is a huge need for this. And I feel like it's such a topic that people are so afraid to talk about and, Unless like, you know, you have a really good friend that you can like, you know, spill your secrets to occasionally, but yeah, I feel like having open and honest conversations about this stuff is something that I've kind of chosen to be like my life work as well. Cause this is stuff that's cool. really important to me that I work through on a daily basis with my therapist. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's great. <laughs> it is great. You know, and I, and I will also share, I mean, part of it is also my, my own personal journey. And I know there's going to be a horror story at some point, but you know, the messaging I got going through, you know, sex ed and uh, Sunday school was basically, you know, sex is scary. Yeah. Jesus, you can get pregnant. Um, this is probably going to be like a sin, you know, like all these different messages. And so when I was growing up, I was paranoid, you know, and, and then as an adult realizing, oh, there's actually like a lot of health benefits to sex. Those were completely omitted. Um, there's a clitoris that was never mentioned. <laughs> you know? People so- were never mentioned. Oh no, gay people were not mentioned. Uh, don't even get me started on that because um, the legislation, and this was something I learned in my formal training, uh, some states still, and obviously we know Florida is having like a whole clusterfuck around this. Yeah, um, Texas some states and- still won't let you mention anything LGBTQ related in the sex education programs. And if you do, it has to be negative. This is actually like part of the law. That's insane to me. No. Yeah, and then- no, I don't even, I'm not going to say what the number is, but I think it's like less than half of the states require medically accurate information. So what does that mean? 
it doesn't have to be based on facts. <laughs> <laughs> like people just can make just it make it up. I know. Like I, when I learned this, I'm like, what? Like, how is the, how is this a thing? Like I'm having a real hard time wrapping my head around a bunch of like educated adults in legislature deciding this is what the path we should go down. So I can be a teacher in Florida, for instance, and I could say, Gay people are gay because they have a sex demon attached to them that will not let them <laughs> let go of whatever, whatever has a hold on them. Then that's completely fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so like nobody hold me accountable for this. But yeah, I mean, I think that's basically what we're getting in at. theory. <laughs> yeah, right. At least in theory. Well, then, yeah, we definitely need people like you and, and forums like this to yeah. <laughs> educate people. Yeah, and people like you, too. It's like, I feel like we have to undo all this damage that's being done. And, and that's like a big part of my work is helping people unlearn the harmful stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in your line of work, because, OK, I, I have a question here, too. I had a sexologist on the, sh on the show before, which mm -hmm. I loved. And I, I absolutely loved that conversation I had with her. But what's the difference between a sexologist and a sex therapist? Okay, so I'm going to do my best to answer this. Okay. <laughs> I know when we were in our, our sex school, as I'll keep referencing it, um, we did have to like research sexologists and that was a much broader category. So some of the people they had us research were, you know, journalists. Some people were scientists, but not like clinicians. Sex therapists are clinicians. So in order to at least be a certified sex therapist through ASAC, they're the, you know, organizing certifying body. Um, you have to be licensed as a mental health clinician in one of the states or territories. Wow. Okay. That's interesting to know. Cause like I, I could be a sexologist, I guess. <laughs> yeah. From my understanding, we probably could be. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some common issues that you find in your line of work that people struggle with the most? Yeah. So the most common reason people see a sex therapist is the low libido or lack of sex in the relationship. And I think when I heard that, I was like, oh, it's kind of boring. <laughs> like, it's true though. It happens quite a bit. Yeah, it does. And it's actually fascinating because there's so many different reasons. And I think part of what I love about my job is that you really get to get in there and try and understand like, when did this happen? Why did this happen? Like, what are the potential causes? And sometimes the clients kind of have a sense like, oh, well, here's when it started. It was right after I had this surgery to have my uterus removed. And it's like, well, hmm, that doesn't seem like an accident, you know? Yeah. Um, or it was after I had kids and you're like, okay, there's some hormonal changes going on there. It was after menopause, or it could be, you know, well, it just kind of gradually faded. And then we got past the point where like, you know, we were older and couldn't have kids biologically. And so then it almost seemed like sex lost its like biological purpose in some way. And, and that was related. So sometimes it's surprising. Um, and people don't necessarily make the correlations until we start getting into it. Um, but but yeah, it could be relational. It could be medical, you know, physiological. Um, it could be spiritual in some way. So we do a lot of, you know, digging and trying to figure it out. Deep diving. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Which is fun. And then we usually find some things and they're like, oh man, this is what's going on. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. Like, hey. So many yeah. things you could excavate. So many dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Um, in fact, this actually brings up a, a, a topic that we were just doing on Tara Love Doctors just this past episode. Um, we had a, um, a 
a younger couple, 24, 23 was the age group, but they had stopped having sex. And he was kind of like wondering why it was. And he was realizing that he had kind of taken on this role as a father figure to her in in a lot of ways. That's the thing. Yeah. She kind of had like this Peter Pan syndrome where like she didn't want to grow up. And so like all she would eat was like chicken nuggets and watch Disney movies. (laughs) And then so, but if you dug a little bit deeper into the story, it was there might have been some trauma there that because like when he would ask or try to initiate having sex with her and stuff she would say i'd have to ask my body or i have to like do some yeah do some like you know emotional work beforehand so it's like um there's something else going on here yeah i agree with you i think the trauma is a big one and i also think i've worked with a lot of uh couples where uh, sometimes I do think men are a little bit easier to please, but you know, where the woman's kind of like, you know, like I want to have sex and I'm just like, not that into it. And like, sometimes I'll maybe get into it, but sometimes it just feels like it's kind of for him and I'll just go along with it. And then there's can start to be negative associations yeah. with sex after a while. And kind of like that couple you just mentioned, you know, if, if the, the woman was having like a traumatic response, first of all, I think it's awesome that she checked in with her body. Like that's like some advanced self-awareness there. Yeah. Um, Um, but yeah, sometimes there's like negative associations over years and, you know, someone hasn't prioritized their pleasure and it it usually is the female partner. Um, so I think that's been really interesting for me to kind of become aware of some of the, you know, patriarchal impacts on sex and, and to start seeing patterns with how people are affected. And of course, I don't think the patriarchy is helpful for men with sex either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's dive into that a little bit more actually because okay. like, how how else would that affect like a, a dynamic in a, in a heteronormative relationship yeah um yeah and I mean I will also say I think heteronormative relationships are more susceptible to it um I think one of the cool things about queer relationships is like it's not is socially scripted and mm-hmm. so people you know actually have to look within <laughs> to figure Make things it up as out you go. Right. But when it is more socially scripted and it's kind of like, this is the role of the man and this is the role of the woman. And, you know, this is how things are supposed to go. What I'm seeing is that, you know, women are into pleasing, they're finding, you know, validation and, you know, being seen as sexy or sexual. And men often have this idea that sex should be really smooth and easy and they shouldn't have to put effort into it. And it's reinforced by porn, which mostly it's men who pay for porn. And so porn being a business of entertainment and not education, you know, they're catering to the men who are paying them. Yeah. And so then, you know, I think men will get the idea of like, oh, well, this is what a woman should sound like. This is what she should do. This is how long she should give me a blowjob. And, and then that doesn't really happen or their, their female partner tries to sort of make it happen, but isn't really being authentic and how she's showing up. And it winds up just being kind of a cluster for everybody. Mm -hmm. Expectation versus reality. Yeah. And and for me, like a big part of my focus and what I want to do with my work is authenticity. You know, it's like when you're doing that social script, it's just like, it's like, are people showing up as themselves? Are they showing up as who they think they should be? Right. And if you're not being authentic, why bother? (laughs) that's kind of my thought you know it's like otherwise you're not really having a good time so exactly do your own thing um what's biohacking 
Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So, I'm interested in like weird stuff like this, but and I've never heard this term before. What is biohacking? Really? Okay. So um, I've gotten to be like a little nerdy about this, just partially through my own physical health journey. So Dave Asprey is sort of the father of biohacking and he's like a fun, quirky guy who's had a ton of his own health challenges and started just questioning, you know, everything we've been told about like diet and nutrition and you know, healing modalities and digging in and like doing his own research and playing kind of with his own physicality to see like what works and what doesn't. So he's found some interesting things. And so he has a podcast too called the uh, human upgrade and, um, I'm in his little human or what's it called the upgrade collective membership thing. Um, but yeah, recently read his book, superhuman, which was really cool. What I love is he does get into sexual health too. So he has like a whole episode on erectile dysfunction. And, you know, I listened to it and I was like, this is not what we're being taught (laughs) or anywhere. And I was like, dude, people need to know this stuff, you know, to understand like inflammation is causing erectile dysfunction. And, you know, we just throw pills at things and, you know, there's actually underlying causes that can be addressed. So I think of biohacking as being like partially kind of like research and science-based and then partially, um, you know, supplements and lifestyle choices. So like one of the things I've recently gotten into is red light therapy. Um, and it's one of those things where it, it does reduce inflammation in the whole body. So it could be good for, uh, pleasure and orgasms and, you know, blood flow I, to I, erectile I, tissues. <laughs> I just watched this rather disturbing video of, um, I forget his name right now, but that Fox news guy, but he was doing it, this whole like documentary on masculinity. And oh, there was a good, like 30 second clip of a guy who was sending his balls with a red light. <laughs> So I'm wondering, is that what he was doing? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, maybe I had, I didn't see the clip, but it kind of sounds like it. Yeah. I'll send it to you later on. It was pretty wild. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, it is. So, I mean, I got, um, one of the other biohacking books is red light therapy by Ari Witten. So I started reading that to learn more about it. And basically what he's saying is if, if this was a pharmaceutical red light therapy, it does so many things for like every area of your body that it would be the best selling drug of all time, but because it's not, and it's just a device and there's no big pharma involved. Like a lot of people don't know about it. Um, but yeah, so I feel like, so I do it. I've had some like silent reflux and allergies. So I'll do like five minutes a day kind of on like my, you know, face and throat area. And then, you know, for gut issues, I'll kind of do like five minutes on my stomach. Um, it's really helpful for autoimmune issues it helps you on like a mitochondrial level. And so that's why it can do so many awesome things in the body that seem kind of otherwise unrelated. Um, but so it's stuff like that. So biohacking is like cool tips and tricks and, you know, supplements and stuff that you don't hear otherwise about health in your body. Yeah. It's like this whole space age version of health (laughs) and wellness that we're now going headfirst yeah. into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I find it kind of like fun and exciting. And especially if you're someone who's frustrated with Western medicine or even functional medicine, sometimes this is a different avenue to go down. That's kind of fun. And again, the sexual health component, you know, as I've kind of gone down the path for other reasons, I've been like really pleasantly surprised to hear that, you know, there's some interesting sexual health things like inserting stem cells into your genitals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really no needles going anywhere near my junk. I'm sorry, but 
Well, so the, and so Dave, Dave Asprey did this. And again, this is his job and he's kind of like out there with it. And he's not like uh-huh. saying everyone should do this, but he harvested some cells, I think from his own body. And then I think he put some, I don't, again, don't quote me on all this, but he put some in his face and he definitely put some in his genitals. And then he did some other things, some other treatments that was maybe um, in the genital region too. And he's like, I wound up gaining like half an inch of my penis. I was like, what? Maybe I should just- rethink this deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Cells are like real, real expensive. It's not something that's like super widely available or like covered yeah. by and so it, it is sort of that like future edge um, of technology. But um, Justin Baldoni, uh, the actor from Jane the Virgin, um, he just did some stem cell stuff and like put it on his Instagram. And he has uh, the Man Enough podcast that explores masculinity too. So interesting. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. So I actually, because, you know, I'm obsessed with these things, I reached out to the place that he went to and I was like, how expensive is this? Right. <laughs> They're like, it starts at 20 grand. So I was like, okay, I'll save up. All right. Well, once <laughs> I'm famous, then, <laughs> then we're going needle deep. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think the last topic that I wanted to cover here, um, and you've spoken about this quite a bit on your profile and, and all this stuff, what is, I mean, BDSM? Like, this is yeah. kind of a thing that people are afraid of because it looks scary, mm. it looks frightening. Mm. However, I and then there's also this pushback in like the LGBT community for like um, uh, taking BDSM out of pride events because it's supposed to be a family oh. affair, quote unquote. Ooh. Which is odd to me because number one that is family and pride never really has been a family event <laughs> you know I completely agree with you on both of those points I'm like what what is happening so what I want to know from you from someone who knows a lot about this who mm-hmm. kind of works in this realm um what can we learn from the BASM community as a whole so much so much um yeah, that bums me out though. I feel like the the gay communities has such a strong like leather tradition and everything. And there's yeah. just yeah, like don't take that away. Um, but anyways, um I did go to International Mr. Leather in Chicago, and there was a whole group of like kink identified therapists that got together, very fun. Um, but there's there's a lot. So one of the one of the things that I most love about the kink community is uh the focus on consent in communication. So I find that that's sorely missing, um, in most sexual interactions for most, most people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, is that what you want me to do? Or like, Oh, can I get, let you know what I like? Oh no. Well, you're so rejecting and critical, you know? And it's like, okay, this is not going great. Um, but in the kink community, because there's this perception, I think that like, oh, this could be a little riskier. This could be like a little bit edgier, or this could be more emotionally intense we should talk about this ahead of time. And so I am thinking like, what if we just take that from kink and apply it to all sexual situations so that people actually feel emotionally and physically safe to relax and enjoy themselves. Right. So that, that would be my thought. And there's, there's even acronyms within kink. Um, there was one that was like, as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual, um, and then people actually push back a little bit on the safe thing, which I think is so interesting. Um, I'm like, oh, why don't we want safe? But then some people are like, what if you're aware of the risk and you're just choosing to embrace the risk? I'm like, okay, well, that's true. People should be able to make their own choices as long as they're informed about it. So then there's a new acronym called RAC, risk aware consensual kink. And so I like wow. that one. Yeah. Interesting. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. So the fact that there's like, 
all these acronyms and like, you know, formats for people to discuss how they're going to approach, you know, and people will call it like a scene um, in kink. So sometimes the scene is sexual as well as having a kink component. And sometimes it's really just kink without a traditionally sexual component to it. It might be like, Hey, I'm just going to tie you up, you know, and we're not going to, we're not going to touch genitals or make out or rope each other or we're just I'm just gonna tie you up and I'm gonna dangle you from the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> like, I know a few people that might just be into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that could that could be a negotiation. It could be like, okay, what kind of ties are you comfortable with? Or um I had somebody ask me once and I thought this was such a great question. How do you want to feel? Wow. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. Like that, that helped take me to the next level where I was like, Oh, I was just thinking about like what we would do, but like, how do I want to feel? I think is even better because it actually helped me get more clarity than I'm like, okay. So if I want to feel free or I want to feel helpless, you know, however you want to feel that's then going to inform the actions that you take. So I I love actually starting with that result. That's you just blew me out of the water right now. That's that what was... I'm saying. Like, there's some people in the kink community that are just like so advanced with their communication around sex that it's amazing. That was crazy. I'm going to write that down, actually, because that's great. <laughs> How do you want to feel? Yeah. Done. Okay. <laughs> now that I've learned my, my major lesson for the day, um, <laughs> I have my tea today. I normally brew my own, but today I have passion tea lemonade from Starbucks. Love it. I like that one too. So I'm ready for a story. Oh dear. <laughs> this is the part I was scared of everyone. Um, so, all right. So my story, I'm going to take you all back to early in my sexual career. Um, this was, where was I? So I was, I think it was in my first apartment <clears throat> out of my parents' house. So that was exciting. And I was, I think I had a friend visiting. So I had a friend visiting, guy friend who I had kind of grown up with. And he, I'm trying to remember if he was married. It was, it's the person he's now married to. So he was with her. So they both came, they were staying at my place. We wound up going to some party uh, in the city in Chicago. And it was someone that he knew, not me. And um, we bumped into somebody from our high school. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so my buddy was like, oh, you guys should go dance together. Oh, whatever. He's doing this like real obvious, you know, like, let's see if I can get them to hook up. And I was like, okay, like this, this is probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this, is like, this is like real awkward. Um, but I was like, okay, but like, this guy's kind of cute. Um, so I was, I was not resisting too hard and neither was the other person. And so we're, we're dancing, we're hanging out and we had like known each other from high school, but weren't, um, like in the same friend group or whatever, but there's always kind of just like, okay, yeah, Hey, what's up? Um, so anyway, so we're, we're kind of connecting. I don't remember if we kissed, we probably did. I'm going to say we kissed because I've had a lot of dance floor makeup. (laughs) Same. (laughs) (laughs) So just assuming if there was dancing, I probably kissed him. So, so I was like, okay, like I'm kind of like vibing or whatever. And then my, my childhood buddy was like, bring them home. Come on, Heather, bring them home. You guys should hook up. And I was like, oh my God. 
like this is this is so strange because my friend and his girlfriend or fiance at the time were staying with me so I was also like okay this is gonna be like a little bit weird um but so I brought him back to my place uh so the four of us go back to my place um my buddy and his uh I'm gonna call her fiance they were probably engaged at that time so my buddy and his fiance are like on the couch or something in the living room and it's like this old Chicago apartment and the walls are very thin (laughs) 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 this is special and then I also had this like really interesting bed um so it was like a gift from my aunt and it's maybe some people will watch this, but it's hard to verbalize it. So you know how like a bed frame normally uh, has like a right angle that kind of holds the mattress. Like, it, you know, it's like right. if you make two L shapes with your hand, it's like the mattress fits in there and it securely holds the it's mattress. A, um, is it the box spring or is, no, the box spring is the thing that goes in it. Um, yeah, it doesn't the really frame matter or whatever, for the purposes. Frame. So, but it, it cups the mattress to make sure it stays in place. That is not how my bed frame was. So my bed frame was the opposite. And so the mattress just like sat like, precariously on top of this like one inch wide thing and so (laughs) so you can imagine when I brought this person home that you know at first we were like trying to be careful but sometimes things get a little bit more vigorous (laughs) (laughs) the mattress collapsed so we kind of came crashing down oh no you would think this happening one time might be enough for us to be like, okay, whatever. It happened like three times. <laughs> so, so that's my hookup horror story. Early on, sexual career, friends listening through like a very thin wall and mattress collapses three times during sex. You broke the bed. Broke the bed. Three times. <laughs> three times. Congra- so that's, that's... Yeah, thank you, right? Maybe I should <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it was interesting. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Um, the last thing I'll ask you before, before I let you go is, you know, I normally ask like, what is the lesson that you learned from this? But I'm mm-hmm. from, uh, you're a professional. So what's your top tip that you, that you learn either from this or even just in your career? Like what's a top tip to give someone? Yeah, definitely not for my horror story. <laughs> Get a, don't have an antique bed frame would be the lesson from the horror story. Um, have a proper better frame. And then um, just in general though, I would say sexual communication. I think the more people can um, be humble actually, sexually, and maybe like put their ego aside a little bit and like seek feedback and like really try and learn their partner and just like be present and share their fantasies and know themselves and their turn-ons and share that. Um, A lot of people are gonna be having a lot more great sex. Definitely. Yeah. How do you want to feel? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it too. Um, Heather, this has been amazing. Thank you again for joining us today. Um, where can our listeners find you? Oh yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, my website is heathershannon.co. I do offer a discounted uh, mini session for new clients. And they can also find me on Instagram at Heather A. Shannon. I'm going to have some little freebie giveaways for getting your mojo back. And I'm going to have my top 10 relationship traps uh, as a free giveaway as well. And then I'm also on TikTok at Heather Shannon LCPC. Awesome. Well, everyone, you know where to find all this information. You'll find it in the description down below. Thank you again for joining us. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak <laughs> Thanks, with us today. Stephanie. It's been fun. Thank you.
Be sure to check out the episode description for our guest social media links for more information on this show or to read my blogs of Kapoor stories and A Deviant's Guide to Sex. Or if you're interested in receiving a personal tarot reading from me, visit DimitriWild.com. Stay deviant. Remember, subscribing might not be worth it, but it's also not optional.